Welcome to another message from C3 Mumbai. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. We're going to be talking about forgiveness today in our new series Death Was Arrested. If you haven't got plans, if you have plans, please cancel them and try and come next week for Good Friday and Easter because it's going to be worth your time. You pretty much have a transformed life if you get the meaning of Easter. I want to talk to you from the book of Genesis today to begin with about a man named Joseph. Somehow when I was studying this I kept thinking of, wouldn't it be cool if Joseph's name was Josie? I don't know why. I just, Joseph's a bit, he comes across very serious and very, you know, Josie. And when Harry said, you know, maybe we should come up with the gangster's version of the Bible. Maybe Josie could be. We don't change names when the Bible's translated, but, you know, it would be cool. So this man, Joseph, okay, Interesting guy. If, if, you, if you've never been to a church before or if you've heard of him, some of you probably just know him because of his Technicolor coat. Probably where Missoni, all the different brands got their inspiration from. Um, but Joseph was a favored man. He was a man that his father favored over his other brothers. It's a bit of an injustice there, but he was. And he was given this coat. And when he was given this coat, he put off some of his brothers. He put off some of his brothers who were really jealous. And what happened in the end was they had to take action because they didn't like what they saw. So they thought, you know what, let's just kill him. That's what you do, right, when you're jealous. <laughs> let's just kill him. The other brother who had a little more mercy said, no, let's not kill him. Let's, you know, probably just put him in a pit and then he's not our responsibility, but he's out of our sight. And then they saw these uh, Egyptian traders and they said, let's just sell him as a slave. So they sold their own brother as a slave. Okay, fast forward. From, the, from slavery, he went to prison for being wrongly accused. From the prison, he helped a man in there. And uh, the man said, you know what, when I get out, I'm going to tell everybody about your gift about how you helped me out, your gift of, you helped me interpret my dreams and it came true, so I'm gonna tell everyone about your gift. That guy went away two years and forgot about him. So not only was he sold, he was falsely accused, and now he was forgotten. And then after two years, a king had a dream, which kind of gave Joseph a way out and he interpreted that dream and was made ruler of the land. I'm going to plug in now when the brothers have come to Joseph because they are in need. They are in need of food. The land was in famine. And the only person in the entire land that had goods was Joseph. He was smart. He helped the king out in some way. And he helped them save food. So he was the only one that had food that the brothers needed to come to. The very brothers that sold him. So here they are, they've trekked all the way to come meet Joseph, not knowing it's Joseph. They've come all the way because this man has supply. They've come all the way, they're there waiting. Joseph sees them and recognizes them. 
two chapters before what we're about to read, Joseph knows they're his brothers, but they don't recognize, probably because of his kajal or his makeup, or he, from Hebrew, he went to Egyptian goddess, um, and they couldn't recognize him. So he knows they're his brothers. He knows they are the ones that have put him in, that have sold him, that have made him suffer all these years, but he's not letting it up. And this is where we pick up Genesis 45 verses 1 to 7 says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard him. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your life by great deliverance. Wow. This, my friends, is how you handle unforgiveness. And we can all go home now. <laughs> Honestly, can you imagine what Joseph went through for 10 years in that prison cell, in slavery, how many of us, when we get offended, we replay that scenario over and over again, going, I would have said this, oh man, my comeback wasn't quick enough, oh man, they did this, man, if they did that again, I would have probably punched them. We're, we're playing all these scenarios in our head and we cannot let it go and Joseph had to live with this for 10 years knowing that his entire family had abandoned him. No one had inquired about him, no one knew and he's alone, he's in this prison cell, he's been wrongly accused when, and he was accused of something that he tried to move away from. The very thing he detested he was accused for, sexual immorality, something he wanted to run away from, and so much injustice. Joseph had every right to pine. He could have been absorbed in self-pity, he could have been absorbed in self-absorption about everything, self-centeredness, mistrust reenactment of the scenario. But this is what Joseph chose to do. So my first point today is forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is costly. You know the real meaning of forgiveness? When we study forgiveness, we always go back to text. We try to go back to, you know, the original, the Bible was written in Aramaic. It was, and it makes pastors sound pretty cool when they study Greek as well. Um, it means, it comes from two words, forgiveness, ephiami and charismi. And these two words are really, actually, not quite a description of what we think of forgiveness. But it means to send away debt, which is ephiami, and to extend grace. And I was like, what? Firstly, you're wrong. Secondly, you write off someone's debt, and then you don't just write off their debt, you extend grace. And that's what the Bible's talking about, forgiveness. So let's, before, I want to make a point about Joseph. 
would someone come up here? Um, I need a married woman. Probably I need your necklace. So do you want to just come up? Or any other married? And I need an unmarried Well, a single lady. Any single ladies in the house? All the single ladies. One. Come on, guys. Come on. Just one of you. Come on, guys. Lisa, good girl. Good girl. Vandana, can I have you on this side? Lisa, can I have you on this side? I have, to, I have to make a disclaimer. Yeah, pays to advertise. Lisa is single. Ready to mingle. Woo! Um, you know those disclaimers before movies that all characters, events, and incidents is fictitious? It's not based on real life. Please, guys, um, what we're about to do is an purely an illustration, and it does not resemble anyone living or dead. <laughs> <laughs> No animals were hurt in this <laughs> production. Okay, but guys, you got to play along with me, all right? Okay, so Vandana has this amazing necklace. Can I have it for a second? Um, you see, she's so hesitant. Um, Vandana just, let's say Vandana just got married, and, you know, she was given this amazing necklace by her great-grandmother just before um, she passed away. And uh, she said to Vandana, one day you will be able to give this to your grandchildren, you know, and keep passing it down. And so Vandana is holding this very dear to her heart. But then we have Lisa, who's also a part of C3. You know, it's community thing. Vandana's convicted about Ryan's message about community. And she knows Lisa's getting married soon. And Lisa's a bit constricted on the funds, so she has nothing to wear for the wedding jewelry. And Vandana thinks, you know what? I mean, it's only a day. How hard can it be? I'm just going to lend Lisa my necklace. So she gives it to Lisa. Here you go, Lisa. You want to put it on? And Vandana is really excited about this, guys. It, it, she, wasn't, she wasn't giving it like against her will. She was really excited. She was doing something for JC. She was so excited. She's doing something for the kingdom. She can help her sister out. You know, that way, Lisa can just focus on her dress and everything else. And um, Lisa was so excited about it. She finally didn't have to buy jewelry for it. It saves her, you know, because she's, she's doing a small wedding. She didn't want to spend much. But then comes the wedding night, and Lisa takes off her necklace and places it somewhere, you know, because she's busy, you know, wedding nights, you get busy. Um, she places it somewhere, <laughs> and uh, no, I mean, guys, what are you laughing about? <laughs> like, you know, taking off your makeup and stuff, and, and the next morning, um, Lisa leaves for a honeymoon. Um, you know, Lisa, you can go to Rome. There's Rome. Go to Rome, go to Rome. And um, Vandana... Um, suddenly realizes, oh, Lisa's gone on her honeymoon and she hasn't returned the necklace. So she texts Lisa on the honeymoon. She's like, you know what? Sorry to bother you. I hope you're not busy or something. I mean, you know. Um, but hey, just wondering if you left your, my necklace with your, with your mom or, you know, something in Bombay because it's really special to me and 
Lisa reads the message and goes, yeah, of course. She goes into her pouch and realizes it's not there. So Lisa doesn't know what to do. She kind of says, hey, I'm really busy right now, but when I find it, I'll text you. Oh, no, she doesn't say I find it because that would be wrong. She's like, I'll text you when, you know, I locate it and I'll get it back to you. Three days go by and Lisa realizes it's lost. So Lisa sends Vandana a text saying, hey, girlfriend, we need to catch up when I'm back and uh, we need to talk about something. Vandana's like, oh, wonder if I've done something or Vandana's thinking, uh, you know, she's not thinking by any chance this is to do with the necklace as she meets Lisa. And Lisa says, Vandana, I have something to say. I think I have misplaced, basically lost your necklace. And I don't know what to do because we're financially struggling. We just got married and is there anything I can do? <laughs> Is there anything I can do? I mean, I can try to do a setup plan, go to Kulaba Amar Jewelers and make a deal with him and get you something made. And Vandana faints. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I had to illustrate this is because what Vandana has to do now will tell you a lot about what forgiveness is. When you forgive someone, you pay a debt. You pay a price. You suffer. Either a few things could happen. Lisa could pay her in four years, maybe. Or Vandana could suffer the loss of the necklace and in time buy a new one. Either way, somebody suffers. With forgiveness, somebody suffers the loss. To forgive means to bear the cost instead of the wrongdoer doing it. It means absorbing the debt of the sin yourself. Cycles of evil end when they begin with forgiveness. If Vandana is really upset about this and says, you know what? She had no right. She, she goes and tells Dina and Sam and Samara and they're having a big dinner together and says, you know what, like, man, like, my necklace, you know, that Lisa wore on her wedding, it's gone, it's gone. She can do that. She can go back to Lisa and make Lisa feel really guilty. Or she can absorb the cost of what it has cost her to lose that and forgive Lisa. So my second point is forgiveness begins with the afflicted. Dina, you did an amazing, amazing job because a lot of what you're going to say is actually what this means. It begins with the afflicted. What does that even mean? Forgiveness be begins with the person who was, who, offend who, was the, uh, who was wronged or who was offended, not the offender. Forgiveness begins with the offended, not the offender. Let's look at Genesis 45.3. It said, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? That's what he says to his brothers after he discloses who he is. He simply says, I am Joseph. Where's my father? He shows concern. 
after seeing them after so many years and he finally gets to bring the hammer down this is what he says come close to me is this guy crazy and then he discloses more about who he is and he says don't worry he's telling them not to worry i mean come on he's beginning the forgiveness with himself and when we move forward you know everything in the old testament is is a foreshadow of what happens in the new testament we look in luke 23 we look at a greater joseph a man called jesus who was on the cross he was walking in his lead up to the cross there were two criminals that were going to be crucified alongside him and one of them his heart turns and one of them stays cold and jesus while he's walking he's about to be you know put to death and this is what he says father forgive them it begins with himself that the final say on the cross was not sin it was forgiveness the final say on the cross was not the wrong doing it was the letting go and so often we think that when someone has offended us we we have the right to stay disgruntled we have the right to hold a grudge because they've wronged us the least they should do is come and talk to us but jesus is saying uh uh-uh. uh people offended me people betrayed me people crucified me and i'm here extending forgiveness and when he shows who he is one man retaliates and says one of the criminals says aren't you the messiah save yourself and save us but the other criminal realized who jesus was and he says don't you fear god since you are under the same sentence we are punished just justly they were criminals they were murderers we're getting what we deserve but this man has done nothing wrong and then he said jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom and jesus said truly i tell you today you will be with me in paradise and this is the example jesus is giving that you know what forgiveness begins with the afflicted Jesus revealed himself because only he can forgive sins. It was for the two criminals, the restoration, the reconciliation of even those two criminals that mocked him besides everyone else that he forgave. Broken relationships it doesn't lie with the offense that was committed but the forgiveness that isn't given. a lot of broken relationships in our lives in our families in the workplace it's not because someone wronged you it's because forgiveness was not extended and it seems unjust that you being wronged wasn't bad enough that you now have to be the humble person you have to extend the scepter you have to extend the white dove and say hey you know what let's talk peace but it says in matthew 6:14 for if you forgive other people when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their sins your father will not forgive your sins you know what this is talking about it's saying forgiveness starts with god the only way we can forgive is because it begins with him and when we don't forgive 
we're going to suffer. It leads us to obstruction. It leads us to loss in intimacy with a father. You know, when people come to me and say, I just, I just don't feel like coming to church anymore. You know, I've, I've, I'm kind of doing my own thing. Um, you know, I just, I don't like some of the people. I don't, I don't enjoy life. I'm just, a lot of their statements have to do with unforgiveness because unforgiveness breeds loss in relationships. It obstructs not just our relationships with each other, but our, our relationship with God. And Dina touched this scripture as well from Ephesians 4, 30, 32. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So he's not leaving us on a limb here. You know, when Joseph said, come close to me, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry. Because real forgiveness is compassionate. Real forgiveness doesn't hold the guillotine above your head. But real forgiveness is kind. And the third point I want to talk about is forgiveness is extended before it is experienced. Because a lot of the time, we wait to feel like forgiving someone, which probably will never happen. Especially if your great-grandmother's necklace is lost. Something you know is worth a lot of money and a lot of, you know, in like, I, what do you call it? Uh, sentiments or even just value, right? Because of how long it's traveled and how the story behind it. And that's just a material thing. There's stuff that has been done to you. There's stuff that you probably had not even had a say in, like Joseph. He was paying the price of another person's sin. And yet, he extended it. Like Christ. He did it. God, take this cup away from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And this is something that is, it's hard. It's hard to forgive anyway. Because we want to feel, we want to wallow in our self-pity. We want to wallow in our justification. We want to wallow in the injustice because somehow that makes us feel better than the other person. And we start to get an identity from it. That I'm the better person because you know what? I was wronged. And now I have this one card against them that I can bring up. And Jesus is like, you don't wait to feel good about it. You do it first. If we wait to feel like forgiving, we will be waiting a long time in most cases. And gaps and spaces in those circumstances will only create grudges. The more you hold a grudge, the, the more you begin to play God's role. The more you hold a grudge against someone, the more you're playing God, and do not take that role. It's not something you can take. It's not something we can fathom. We don't have God's perspective. If we were to be God and judge people, oh my goodness, it would be so twisted. God says only th two things are his, he claims in the Bible. Vengeance is mine and the tithe is mine. Vengeance is mine. It's his thing. You do not 
play God's role. If we wait to experience forgiveness, it will not be based on truth and obedience. It will place us in a place of judgment and bitterness. Proverbs 17.9. I love Proverbs. It's just so practical. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Forgiveness by no means, guys, I'm not saying, and you know, some of you are probably thinking, yeah, that sounds so noble what you're saying, but you have no idea what I've been through. You have no idea what I've gone through as a child. You have no idea the injustice I've faced. You have no idea what it feels to keep trying again and again and again and failing every single time. But forgiveness does not mean ignoring what has been done or putting a false label on it. I'm not saying you ignore the act, you don't call it evil. Call evil, evil. But what it means is that evil act no longer is a barrier to a relationship. Forgiveness is a catalyst creating the atmosphere necessary for a fresh start. It is the lifting of a burden or cancelling of a debt. The words, I will forgive you, but I'll never forget what you've done, never explain the real nature of forgiveness. Certainly one can never forget if that means erasing it totally from his mind. But when we forgive, we forget the evil deed is no longer a mental block in our relationship. Likewise, we can never say, I will forgive you, but I won't have anything further to do with you. Forgiveness means reconciliation, a coming together again. This is from a quote I found. I cannot trace the source, but it is from a, what is forgiveness online. Uh, sorry, my Logos um, Bible study. And I really, you know, the whole idea of this grudge and bitterness, we've all been a part of this. It happens even in marriage. Let's be honest. All the married people say, amen. It's not easy. You want to hold to account. You want to you wanna stash that in your quiver for when the next fight, when you can launch arrows. Do you remember that? Yep. It's just been building up. I've been sharpening the edge of my arrow. Let's be honest. Grudges, holding, leaving the gaps to wait to be forgiven, it only makes you more bitter. But you know, our forgiveness of sin was only made possible through the cross. You know, when we think of Easter, and we think so many people do not understand why Jesus had to go to the cross. What does this even mean, death was arrested? What? <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, he's a good, it's a bit gory. I mean, guys, come on. It's a bit overdone. Why did he have to go to the cross? Couldn't he just forgive us? But no one who has been deeply wronged just forgives, right? If you've been deeply hurt and deeply wronged, can you just forgive? You can't. Somebody has to suffer. Either you make them suffer or you refuse revenge and forgive them and then you suffer. And if we can't forgive without suffering, how much more must God suffer in order to forgive us? <sighs> I 
And you know what? We can avoid the sense of this debt and injustice for what's happening in our hearts and in our soul. But you know what? God knows it. We can try to avoid it. We can pretend it's not there. We can say we don't really need a God to redeem us. We're not that bad. I mean, how many of us have said that? We're not that bad. You know, I talk to people all the time, and they're like, you know what? We don't need right and wrong. We've got our own moral compass within, and that's good enough. But then I'm like, you know, there are people that kill in parts of the world saying that was the only resort. And they say in their moral compass, that's a good thought. And you have different people that, you know, talk about good and bad based on their circumstance. And in the same way, we think that we're not that bad, so maybe we don't need someone to suffer for us. But the truth is God knows our hearts. God knows it so well. God knows the thoughts we thought of on the way to church. God knows what we did last summer. God knows what we did last night. And he knew that for the hurt that was caused against your brother or your sister was hurt against him. Because you are his ch children. You are his creation. When somebody hurts you, they hurt God. And so someone has to pay for that hurt. And if we unavoidably sense that debt and injustice is, is not really something God needs to pay for. God still chooses. He still chooses to die anyway in hope that one day we do. You know, on the cross we see as we go into Easter, as we go into Good Friday, you're going to have a lot of questions. But when you see God forgiving you, just know that the only way he could forgive you was because he had to suffer. That was the only way he could forgive you. Because someone had to pay the price. And why? Because of the evil that exists. You know, on the cross, God's love, I was thinking of this, I was thinking what, it, what, was, what was arrested on that cross? What happened? What was the transfer that took place? What was the transformation that took place? But on the cross, God's love satisfied his own justice. God is a just God. If, if someone hurts someone, he can't just stand there and not agree to the fact that there was wrong committed. Because God is just. I mean, if, if you were with your child and somebody comes and just punches them out of thin air, are you just going to stand and say, oh, I'm, <laughs> I follow Jesus. That's just, it's fine. I don't need forgiveness anyway. No, it causes something within us to sense the injustice that something had happened to our child. That's how God feels for every single one of us when we've been hurt. He senses the injustice and someone has to pay the price. And God said, you know what? I'm going to pay that price. I'm going to step in. So not only did he satisfy his own justice, but he bore the penalty of sin. He bore the penalty of sin. So no one else can say, you know what? You didn't get what you deserve. And God said, actually, 
they did because I took what they deserve on the cross so that they get what I deserve. And that's heaven, that's eternity, that's a relationship with him. So what happened on the cross was an exchange. What happened on the cross was transformation. Death needed to be arrested so that life could flow. He needed to be wounded so that we could be healed. He needed to forgive. He needed to suffer so that we could forgive. You know, in Genesis 50, 19, 20, I don't think I've put that up. Just to talk about Joseph being a prototype of uh, Jesus being a prototype of Joseph, you know, in the Old Testament, it says, Joseph said to them, Again, he's the one extending. He's the one that was afflicted, but he's the one that began the, the, the process of reconciliation. He said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And that is what Jesus reflected on the cross. Satan, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good so that many lives could be saved. That was the message on the cross. You know, the only way we can forgive, the only way we can move on to reconciliation, the only way we can extend peace and end the cycle of hate is not by saying, okay, it was inspiring, I'm going to go home and just Forgive, I'm going to forgive, and tomorrow I'm going to forgive, and you know, and you keep trying to make resolutions about forgiveness, but you cannot do it on your own. Please try, go ahead and try. The only way you can achieve forgiveness is by looking at the finished work of the cross. When you think of how he's forgiven me, when you think that every sin you ever committed needed someone to suffer, and he took that suffering on your behalf for every sin you've ever committed. Somebody needed punishment. And Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to take that punishment once and for all for your past sins, for your present sins, and for your future sins. I'm going to take that on the cross, nail it to the cross so that you can live in freedom and righteousness and not by your past. So the only way we can forgive is looking at what the cross means. The only way we can forgive is thinking of who lives inside of you. I want to read, I know we're going to close soon, we're running out of time, but I want to read something that explains what happened on the cross. It's, it's from a book called The Reason for God by Tim Keller. And it's actually talking about a tale of two cities. Who's read that in literature? Mr. Dickens did a pretty good job there. And he's kind of paraphrasing the gospel story through the book, A Tale of Two Cities. And Rohan, if we can just have you up there. And as I'm reading this, I, wanna, I want you to imagine yourself in the middle of the gospel story. I want you to remember what it means to forgive, that it's going to cost you something, that it's probably going to make you suffer. 
Forgiveness doesn't come easy. It's costly, like Joseph. Joseph there in front of his brothers that have wronged him. He goes and weeps and hugs them. How is that possible? Because he paid the price for 10 years. He took it upon himself. Jesus paid the price for every sin that we've ever committed. It cost Jesus something. Forgiveness begins with the afflicted. Forgiveness begins with you, the one who's been wronged, the one who's been hurt. The one who's been offended, it doesn't begin with, oh, I'm just going to wait because I was so wronged. I'm going to wait for them to apologize. It begins with you. Our life began on the cross, and the cross was the suffering. But the kind of suffering that Jesus took, we don't have to take anymore. The kind of suffering Jesus is talking about is, is just a dying to ourselves daily. And we can die to ourselves because he died and he rose again and he conquered death. And in this story, we're going to see this. A tale of two cities, Charles Darnay and Sidney Carton, look very much alike. And they both love the same woman, Lucy. Lucy chooses and marries Charlie and they have a child. The setting of the story is the French Revolution and Charles, who is a French aristocrat, is arrested, imprisoned and sentenced to die by guillotine. At the end of the novel, Sidney, who is English, visits Charles the night before he's about to be executed. He offers to exchange places with him. Charles refuses, but Sidney has him drugged and smuggles him away into a waiting carriage. Then Sidney takes Charles's place. Charles and his family escape afterward to England. That night in the prison, a young seamstress who is also condemned to die comes up to Sidney and begins to converse with him, thinking him to be Charles Darnay. But when she realizes it is not him, her eyes widen and she asks, are you dying for him? Sidney responds, yes, and his wife and his child. Hush, yes. The seamstress then confesses that she's terribly frightened and is not sure she will be able to face her death. She asks the brave stranger if he will hold her hand to the end. When the time comes, they go to death hand in hand. She finds herself composed, even comforted and hopeful, as long as she keeps her eyes on him. The girl in the story was sinking under the weight of her trial. Her strength was giving out. But when she was smitten by the wonder of his substitutionary sacrifice, and it enabled her to face the ultimate test. Moving, right? But the gospel goes one better. I always found these stories of sacrifice very emotionally affecting. I came away from the resolving to live more courageously and unselfishly. I never did follow through on my resolutions. The stories moved my emotions and pricked my conscience but my heart's basic patterns stayed intact. I was still, still driven by a need to prove myself to others, to win approval and acclaim, to control what people thought of me. And as long as these fears and needs had such power over me, my intentions to change could not go far. The gospel, however, is not just a moving fictional story about someone else. It is a true story about us. We are actually in it. 
We are those delinquent boys. And to save us, Jesus gave up something infinitely greater than human celebrity. Also, Jesus has come to us in our prison. And despite our unwillingness to be saved, he took our place. The seamstress was moved by a sacrifice that wasn't even for her. How much more can we be empowered by the discovery that Jesus has given himself for us? He has changed places with us. And lastly, I can only say that observing these stories from the outside stirred me. But when I realized I was actually inside Jesus' story and he inside mine, it changed me. The fear and pride that captured my heart was finally dislodged. The fact that Jesus had to die for me humbled me out of my pride. The fact that Jesus was glad to die for me assured me out of my fear. C3 Mumbai is a church in the heart of India's commercial capital where a diverse group of people brought together to worship God and to pass on the hope of salvation by grace that we freely received. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram or tweet us on our handle at C3 Mumbai. Hey, it's Ryan here. If you enjoyed this message and you live in Mumbai, we would love to meet you in person. Why don't you come along 11.30 a.m. Studio 10 at Famous Studios in Mahalakshmi. 